This is episode 534 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. Often, when tough times come, much like we are experiencing as a culture and as the church today, God seems distant. We pray and receive no answer. We worship only to feel alone. And when we attend church, while it sometimes seems like something we do out of duty and not out of passion or love. Have you ever felt this way when surrounded by the uncertainties of life? And if so, have you ever wondered why and what you can do about it? David did, and so have millions of believers down through the ages. In David's last psalm, he reveals so much of what we need to embrace today, and he tells us how to worship the Lord both in dark times and when life couldn't get any better. He tells us that God, our King, is near to all who call upon Him, and that all means you and me and the people we like and the people we don't like. God is near to all who call upon Him in truth. You'll find this in Psalm 145, verse 18. So join us today as we discover the wonder of God's closeness, even during dark, troubling, and uncertain times, as we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. As I've been sharing with you from day one, there's a reason why we're doing what we're doing. As you know, things are getting tougher in our nation. We have an election coming up, then we have the 2024 election coming up. There's both sides talking about uh, improprieties going on. It seems like you can't trust anybody. The institutions of our education, our media, even the government, and now the court system seem compromised. And it seems like churches go from orthodoxy to the dark side, and they never come back the other way. When a church goes from biblical orthodoxy to the dark side, um, embracing more that the culture has, um, affirming gay marriage and stuff of that nature, they're applauded by the culture, by the media. Those churches that stand firm for what is right, of course, are getting more marginalized. And so our question is, since we're getting ready to face persecution, like the early church did, and like other churches have, we just have never done that in our nation. What can we learn? What can we learn from the people in the book of Acts who not only persevered during persecution, but thrived, thrived, so much so that they said that these men who have turned the world upside down have now come into our city too, if you remember that. How can we do that? And one of the reasons One of the things they had that maybe we don't is a clear understanding and a total embracing of the kingdom of God. We've been talking about this for a couple weeks now. The kingdom of God is not heaven. It's bigger than that. The kingdom of God is not just everywhere God roams. It's, It's bigger than that. The kingdom of God is pretty much where he rules and reigns. Someday it will be a physical kingdom, but it's not now. And so when Jesus made statements like, you're not far from the kingdom of God, he was talking to that Jewish scribe at that time, telling them that you're not far from entering into this realm of submission and power and obedience and peace that comes from surrendering your life and your will to God, where he rules and reigns. The early church understood that. And what they did is they took God's word for exactly what it says, and they actually acted upon it. You know, Jesus said if they've done this to the 
master of the house, they will do likewise to the servants of the house. And so therefore, when the early disciples got beaten and flogged for their faith, they came back and rejoiced because they found themselves counted worthy to suffer like Christ. That's unheard of in our world today. We would think they did something wrong. Last week, we looked at just a couple passages. I want to take you through the process that went on with me this week. This is one of the passages we looked at, and we talked about living in the kingdom of God, how you have to embrace what he says at face value, and how we can align our life up in such a way to actually live like these passages say. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then this strange passage, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? And that's where I got stuck. Why? For the Lord is at hand. We only touched on this last week, but I was mesmerized by this week. They're able to rejoice in any circumstances. Paul and Silas in the, in the stocks in a jail at midnight with the flesh peeled off their back, praising God with joy because they understood the Lord is at hand. I don't even know what that means. So, Lord, you're going to have to show me. So we looked up a couple words. I shared this with you last week. The word Lord. What does the Lord mean? It's kurios. And it, it means more than just some sovereign ruler. It means master, owner, possessor, sovereign, and ruler. He's your master, but he also owns you. We have been bought with a price and possesses you as his precious possession. The Lord this is at hand. That's egus. At hand means he's close, he's nearby, it means he's ready to help. You can look these words up yourself in the book that I gave you. The Lord is at hand. Okay, I, I, I read that, but what does it mean? I mean, I, I know what it means. I, I looked the words up, but, but what does it mean for me? What is it really saying? It says this, that our sovereign Lord our master, owner, and possessor, the king and ruler is always close, at hand, nearby, and ready to help in any situation we might face. And when you couple this with the sovereignty of God, it means that every situation you ever go through, no matter how dire it is, it is ordained and allowed by God for a reason. And the reason is for the perseverance of us, for building up patience, for us being able to cling to him, that we take our request and we make him be known to God. And instead of answering our request the way we want it, as soon as we want it, he gives us something far greater, peace. And the peace of God, knowing he's handling it, that passes human comprehension, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. I read that, and it was like the Lord said, well, how does that make you feel knowing that, Steve? All the stuff you're going through, all the stuff that you see going on out there, all the negative contingencies that could happen, the people you're responsible for, how does it make you feel to know that I, your king, king, kingdom of God has a king, I, your more than just a savior, I, your Lord, your master, the one who owns you because you're a doulos, a voluntary slave of me, 
Paul talked about that in almost every one of his epistles. How does it make you feel to know that I am always near? Whether you feel me or not, whether you think I'm there or not. Jesus said in John 14 that one of the blessings of the Holy Spirit coming is the fact that he told them he was leaving. He's going to send us the Holy Spirit because he will not leave us as orphans. Steve, do you believe it's true? Yes. Do you, I know you believe it doctrinally is true. Do you believe it experientially as true? And do you live like you believe it? Or do you still worry? Do you still doubt? Do you still fret? Do you still, oh, woe is me. I can't believe this has happened. What are we going to do? Or do you take everything to him, like we talked about last week, in prayer? With thanksgiving, thank you, God, for whatever you choose to do. I sat back and I started thinking about Old Testament heroes. I started thinking about people that we learn about in vacation Bible school. And I started thinking about the defining moments in their life. And every time we study one of their defining moments, it's always when they were in a trial and God was near. They thought they were all alone, but God was near. They thought it was over, but God was near. Daniel, you know that story. God is there with him when he uh, is in the, the uh, lion's den. Elijah, of course, after the Mount Carmel situation where 400 prophets of Baal were slaughtered, he runs to Jezreel, 26 miles. Uh, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow, and he collapses. And God says, no, I'm here. You're just expecting me different than I am. Stands up in front of the mouth of the cave, and God or the fire came by and wind came by and he wasn't in any of those things, but that quiet whisper. Do you remember? God is always here. Joshua getting ready to do something militarily ridiculous. March around the city seven times, blow the trumpets and then see what happens. Nevertheless, he was visited by an angel of the Lord because God said he is near. Moses, I blew it. I, I had an opportunity to be used by God and let my flesh... Uh, take control of me. I, I killed the Egyptian. I thought the people would follow me. They didn't. I've been 40 years on the dark side of the moon. Nobody cares about me. God doesn't care about me. And yet he's here. So close you don't even know it that you're walking on holy ground. Do you remember? And then David can't think of someone who messed up worse than David continually. And yet God is near. So I started looking that phrase up in Scripture. Popped to Psalm 145, and I found this verse. This verse. Really simple. Just do a Bible search, and this verse popped. There's a bunch of them out there. And this one popped up. It says, the Lord is near. Oh, that's right. That's exactly what we looked at last week. The Lord is near. And there's some qualifiers. First of all, the blessing. He's near to all. Everybody? Well, all who call on him. Wow. So if I call on him... I'm part of the all, and he is near. And all, twice now he says that, who call upon him in truth, because he is truth. Christ is truth. I notice the word all is listed twice. We're in the Hebrew now. We're not in the Greek. I wonder if that word all means exactly what it means in the Greek. So I look it up. 
And I find all, the word is kawil, and the word actually means each, every, everything, the whole, entire, in totality, without exception, exactly what it means in the Greek and the word pos. So it means me and you and anyone who calls upon him. The Lord is near. He doesn't say, well, yeah, I know you're calling upon me, but I have a bone to pick with you, but you blew it last Thursday, but I don't like your attitude or the way you're dressing. The Lord is near to all. Okay. I'm interested. So I want to look a little bit closer at this psalm. So I begin, I want you to follow with me. I begin with verse number one, and I'm we're talking about the kingdom of God. We're talking about God being near. It all kind of is flowing together here. And look at the first verse. I will extol you. Strange word. We don't use that much today. My God, oh, oh king. Oh, out of nowhere. It's my God, not my savior, not my Lord, but my king. A king has a kingdom. We're talking about the kingdom of God. And I will bless your name forever and ever. King and kingdom. God is a king. And if a king, he has a kingdom. So David here in this last Psalm of David, Psalm 145, is praising his God as a king who has a kingdom. Those words mean exactly what you think they would mean in the Hebrew. A king is a royal individual with power and authority, none higher than our God. And a kingdom is his domain, his natural outflow on the realm of the power that comes from being a royal person in a royal station in a kingdom. That's who our God is, a king and a kingdom. Well, if that's true, and I quickly scanned the rest of Psalm 145, I wonder if God talks more about this kingdom. And then I get to verse number 10, and look what it says here. All the works shall praise you, O Lord. Expect to hear that in the Psalm of David. And your saints, that you and I, shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. Wow. God, I, I think you're directing me here. Not the glory of your salvation or the glory of your holiness or the glory of your omnipotence, which is all true, but specifically they shall speak the saints of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. Why? Why would the saints do that? To make known to the sons of men his mighty acts, which is his power, and the glorious majesty of, here we go again, his kingdom. One thing you will notice in Scripture is God anticipates every question you possibly have. And you will find most of the answers, in my experience, 98% of the answers you'll find to the questions you have when you read a text by just reading the next verse or the next verse. All right, God, if your kingdom is that great, what is it like? I mean, what are they praising God about? What, tell me more about this kingdom in the Old Testament. Very next verse. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. It's not a temporal kingdom like we experience kingdoms today. And your dominion, oh, that's a new word. Kingdom I understand, but dominion is a little bit different, endures through all generations. Past generation, this generation, whatever future generation there is. So what is this dominion? 
It's his rule and authority. It's, it's, it's the power, the realm in which a king exercises authority over his kingdom. You can look the words up yourself. Okay. All right, Lord, I, I think you got my attention. I think you want to show me something here. So let's take a little deeper look at this psalm. And what I'm going to show you is absolutely incredible. It's profound. I have read this psalm, I don't know, 20 times, but never saw it like this before. It's almost like a blueprint picture of what the church should be doing, of what you and I should do privately when it comes to worshiping our sovereign God. And it is the last psalm David wrote. So let's look at it together. Follow along. I've got to have the verses behind you. We're going to be asking some questions And I think you're going to find that every question we ask just flows into the next verse, which answers that. We'll begin in the beginning here. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. First look at that. The first thing I notice is we have some I will statements. This is something that David's going to do. Hasn't done it, but he wants to do it. He feels compelled to do it. He says, I will, I will, I will, and I will. Four times, four lines, David says, this is what I'm going to do because this is my God. Well, what are you going to do exactly? Well, it's really simple. I'm going to extol you. I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to praise your name, and then twice we have forever and ever. Extol, bless, bless, praise. Extol, bless, bless, praise. I think I know what bless means. Hey, be blessed, making affirmations and happy thoughts towards people, or giving them something. I want to bless you with this. Extol, not so sure. Praise, I don't know, what is it? We raise our hands in the air and sing real loud. Not really sure what that means back then. I kind of know how we define it today. So let's, uh, let's look at some of the words. To extol, listen very carefully, it means to raise, to lift up, to be exalted. To raise, to lift up, to be exalted. To move one into a higher position than you are. You can do that physically. You can do that spiritually. You can do that emotionally. You can do that with your words and with your praise. To to exalt someone is what it pretty much means. Raise them up. What about bless? Totally different definition than you and I are accustomed to. The primary definition in the Hebrew for the word bless is to bend your knee to someone. Oh, it's to recognize them, their honor and submitting ourselves to them, it also means as a secondary definition to speak words of excellence about. I'm going to bless you by complimenting you and say, that's a really nice shirt you have on. You did a great job working on my car. Just be blessed. That's what we assume it means. But when you're blessing the Lord biblically, when you're blessing the Lord, what he says in Psalm 145, you are bending your knee into the submission to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who exist in his kingdom of which you are a citizen and been granted a position as a son and an heir. 
Oh, so when it says, I will bless your name forever and ever, every day I will bless you. I will not only just say things like, you're good and you're glorious and hallelujah and thank you very much, but I will actually surrender myself and yield myself to you. The hardest thing is for us to do in our culture, to surrender and turn everything over to him. But what about the word praise? Well, that's kind of what we think blessing means, to boast, to shout out affirmations. Oh, we, um, <clears throat> we, we, don't, we don't shout out. We, uh, we don't even pray out loud. We don't, we don't want to draw any attention to ourselves. We just sit quietly and do nothing. Unless it's a football game or like a Super Bowl, and it's right down to the very end, and, and all of a sudden, they're running for the touchdown. Then we jump up in our living room, and we go, 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 go. But we don't ever do that with God because it's just not proper. It makes us feel uncomfortable. And so we're just going to kind of sit like stoics and think we're praising God. That's not what the word means. It means to be uncomfortable. It means to shout out affirmations of his greatness, to worship, or to exclaim, hallelujah, praise God for who he is. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. So I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking about what we talked about last week, and I see this phrase, every day I will bless you, and it reminds me of Philippians 4, 6 that we looked at to show you how it's all connected together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, that your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything, forever and ever, forevermore, whatever circumstance it is, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. And he will give you whatever you want. He will give you your best life now. He will lavish out temporal pleasures on you, right? No, no. He will give you something far greater. And the peace of God, which surpasses anything you can even imagine in your mind, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forevermore. Lord, that, that reminds me of Philippians 4.4, 4, to praise him at all times. I go back to last week's verse. Rejoice in the Lord always, always, forevermore. And again, he says, rejoice. Why? Because he is our king. He is our sovereign. He is our Lord. And he is our possessor. So what about our God is worthy of praise? And how will we go about doing that? Well, that almost seems like a blasphemous question in church. I don't know. A lot of us have a tendency of putting God on a pedestal when we need him and then putting him under the cupboard when we don't. What about him is magnanimous? And you read the very next verse, Psalm 145, verse 3. 
great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Wait, 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 wait. I got three words here that kind of mean the same thing. Great, I understand. Greatly is a derivative of great. And greatness is a characteristic of someone who is great. So what does it mean? What does greatness mean? And what does it mean that his greatness is unsearchable? Unsearchable, strange phrase. His greatness is unsearchable. I'm going to extol him. I will bless his name forever. I will bless him. I will praise him forever and ever because his greatness is unsearchable. The words mean his greatness is the surpassing deeds and act of acts of glory and power and mercy and grace of God. The things that he does that reveals to us his attributes. His greatness is unsearchable. And that word literally means beyond human inquiry or human comprehension. You can't find out and try to figure out, no matter how much you search, how incredible his greatness is. It's off the charts. It's beyond our any way we can understand it. Just like the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and comprehension, so is his greatness. His greatness. Have you ever thought about that? How really great he is? And if so, what have we ever done about it? You ever sat home and and just thought about how powerful he is and how majestic he is and wonderful he is, and you find yourself just overwhelmed with who you are and who he is, and you end up just worshiping him in private? And then we come to church like armed camps that we can never let him or anybody inside, for what reason, I I don't know. It's always been that way in my experience in church, at least in the West. And we know how great he is, and yet we're afraid to even tell somebody about it. Because the one that stands up in church and goes, I just want to praise God for my salvation. The rest of us go, yeah, okay. And we forget how great our salvation is. As I was studying this, it was like the Lord said, okay, if I'm great, what does that mean to you? It's a reflection of how not great I am. And I can't even imagine how great you are. And so what does that elicit from you, Steve? And it elicits praise from my lips. It elicits conviction in my heart, commitment more to him, a surrendering of my life more to him. So we keep reading. In verse number three, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Natural questions that come up. So what am I going to do with this greatness of God? I mean, how am I supposed to respond? Do I proclaim it from the rooftops, or do I just keep it hidden, like under a basket on a table so nobody else can see it? I mean, what do I do when I understand and begin to comprehend how totally great God is? And you continue reading, and you find out in the next couple verses, you have a them, a me, and an us. You have what those people are doing, you have what I am going to do, and you have what we are going to do together because of this greatness of God. Them, verse number four, 
One generation shall praise your works to another. That's them. And shall declare your mighty acts. The things that you've done will transpire our life, but other people's lives. One generation shall praise your works. That means their deeds, act of power, the accomplishment, the things God has done. Not only to the nation of Israel, not only to the church, but in your own life. What he always redeemed you, how he saved you. Part of this is a testimony. They'll praise it to another and shall declare. I love this word. When I think of the word declare in the English, I think of like just telling. But it means to state emphatically and authoritatively. No, you don't understand. This is exactly what happened. This is the truth. And I'm stating it with unction to declare his mighty acts. Because I've seen his acts. I know his acts. I know what he's done. His strength, his power, his might, the nature of his mighty deeds, the victory been proclaimed in my life by the sacrifice of Christ. It's not a defeatist attitude. It's something that should well up in us this incredible power to be more like him. That's what they will do. What about me? What am I going to do when I understand the greatness of God? Well, I will meditate on his glorious splendor of his majesty and on your wondrous works. I will reflect, to ponder, to consider. I will focus my mind on his glorious splendor, the profound grandeur of who he is, this resplendent glory. God is light. Like what kind of light? I don't know, like, like a bright light, like the sun, like light, like so much light that there's no darkness in him at all. I can't describe it. And you focus on that. I will meditate, not on what I have to do today and how I'm going to make money or, or what it's all about me, but I will meditate on his glorious splendor of his majesty, of his authority, quality of God that elicits in us awe and reverence, his mercy, his grace, everything. And on your wondrous work, strange word, work, because when you look that word up, you find it means word, speech, matter, or utterance. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wondrous, extraordinarily splendid work. When you look that verse up, literally, here's what the verse says. Literally, it says, I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the words of your wondrous work. And then the, the words, what's written, the words, the testimony, the words that other people have spoken to me, the words I have spoken about your glory, I will meditate on those things, reflect on those things, consider how powerful you are. We start out with them. One generation shall praise your work to another. And then it becomes personal. We shall declare your mighty acts. Then it talks about them or us. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on the wonders of your work. Verse 6 deals with them and me. Starts out with them. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. And I will declare your greatness. Men, all of us, men shall speak of your awesome acts, but I 
shall declare your greatness. Men, talking about others now, will speak, and that word means to just that, to use your vocal cords, to verbalize, to speak, to say something of your strength and fierceness of your awesome, reverent, fearful acts. That's what men will do. But I, I will declare. I will, I will uh, speak authoritatively. I will number. If you look at this word declare, it means like an accountant. I will list the things that you've done of your greatness, of the magnitude of your importance. And why wouldn't I? You're my God. You're my king. You're the Lord. You've saved me and redeemed me. I come to church to, to worship you and I'm supposed to surrender my life to you. You're preparing a place in heaven for me right now. You promised that you would never leave me alone. I have the Holy Spirit, you himself, living in me. Why would I not share and declare your greatness? To list them off one after another. God is great here. He's done this. He's done this. He's done this. Like the song we sang, that you are able to do anything we ask you, but even if you don't, even if you say no, even if come what may, I will still praise you and my hope is in you alone. Men shall speak of your mighty acts and I will declare of your greatness. And so we ought to do that. But we can't because we don't mind singing we don't mind sometimes praying. We don't mind attending. But when it comes to actually speaking of the greatness of God, we feel uncomfortable because we've never been into a church that's done that. We don't really know how that works and what that looks like. And Lord, you're going to have to help me with this. You're going to have to show me how that's done. How do I praise you publicly? And how do I even praise you in front of my family? I mean, I barely have devotions with them. They never see me pray. And I'm supposed to gather my family together, take them off electronics and gather them together and then praise you in front of them, teach them how to worship as they watch me. I don't even know how to worship. How do we do that, God? And so when we see this, I will declare your greatness, we have some questions. And the questions are, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what that looks like. I mean, can you give me some direction, God? Yes, absolutely. Look at the next verse. It begins laying out for us. It's not now them, and it's not now me. It's now us coming together. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing songs of your righteousness. They shall utter the memory the word utter there means to bubble forth and to pour out. It's, it, I, I'm thinking about things that you've done in my life that are so incredible, this remembrance of that, that they just keep, keep coming out. It's kind of like I started watching a, uh, a series last night that just came out on Pure Flix called Going Home or Coming Home. It's about a hospice nurse um, uh, that Pure Flix has put out, and they only have two episodes Right now, I suggest you watch it. It's, it's excellent. And, uh, you know, the, the, they're in the hospital, and the person that they love is dying, and the hospice nurse is there talking with them, and, and they say things like, tell me about your husband. Tell me about your son. And they just, they just can't stop it. Oh, 
Let me tell you about my son. And they tell stories about when he was younger, when they were, you know, what it's like and what my life's been with him and how much they mean to me. And these stories just bubble out and bubble almost to the point it's like, you know, I, I, I have other patients I need to deal with. You can stop now, but I can't help telling you about this person that means so much to me, which is exactly what this word means for us. They shall utter, bubble forth, pour out the memory of your goodness and shall sing of your righteousness. Oh, we got, the, we got the righteousness singing part down. At least you can choose to sing. But when it comes to the utterance, it feels a little more uncomfortable. I mean, I don't know how to do that, God. I mean, is there anything else you want to show me? Well, sure. If you understood my goodness... And if you understood how powerful I was, and if you'll just pause the moment and meditated on who I am, it would be no problem to have my goodness bubble out when you're talking to other people. And let me show you how good I am by just reading the next verse. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. If he wasn't, I would be dead Slow to anger and great in mercy. That alone should bring us to our knees. The Lord is good to all. There's that word again, all, including me and you. He's good to all. And his tender mercies are over all his work. And his work includes you and me. This is who our God is. It doesn't matter what our circumstances are like. This is who our God is. Therefore, since he's full of compassion, slow to anger, great in mercy, and his good and his tender mercies lavished out on us, therefore, the next verse, all your works, God, me and you, shall praise you. Why wouldn't we, O Lord? And your saints, oh, there's that holy one. It's a select group of people that you and I are part of because of the Holy Spirit lives within us. And your holy ones shall bless you. Remember what that word meant? Surrender, bow your knee to his lordship. They, your saints, you and me, shall speak, that's verbally, of the glory of, here we go again, your kingdom. To talk emphatically of your power. What does this mean? It means that when we come together, this is what we should be doing. This is what he expects us to do. I mean, do you realize that we have all sorts of different groups we meet with during the week? We have our Facebook groups, and then we have our political groups, and then we have our business groups, and we have those friends and these friends. Oh, we got the guys we hang around with when our kids play soccer or baseball or something of that nature. We have, you know, extended family members. We get just some friends that we, you know, share things with. I mean, there's all these other people that we kind of associate with that we really don't know what their lives are like as much as we know what our lives are like. When we all come together in church, every church come together, I mean, the common denominator among all of us is this silver lining, this thread, this Holy Spirit that runs through all of us, and that should be first and foremost on our lips. And I'm not trying to guilt anybody into that because I struggle with it too. It's like the last thing I want to do coming here is go, praise the Lord, let me tell you how good Jesus is, and I don't know why. I don't know why. It's easier just to find out how your week was going, how my week was going. What's the purpose of us talking about God's kingdom and sharing emphatically and authoritatively about his power? 
It's so that other people, to make him known to the sons of men what he can do and what he has done and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. The reason why we're to do that is to extol his virtues. Do you realize that if the church of Jesus Christ in America really lived the way I think God wants us to live, this overcoming, abundant kind of life where anything the world throws at us, it doesn't really matter. We just have a king. We have a God. We have confidence in him that he moves in our midst. He answers our prayers that we, we feel full of joy and happiness that we're willing to sacrifice and share for others because God is our king. If the church of Jesus Christ or even a small section of that really live that way in our nation, do you realize the world would take notice? They would. They'd be afraid of our power They'd be intimidated by our love and our commitment. But unfortunately, the church has become like an institution, and we're kind of like everybody else, only a little more moral than most. So if I'm supposed to tell other people about the mighty acts of your kingdom, then tell me how powerful your kingdom is. And God anticipates that question. This is the kingdom we're to talk about. It's an everlasting kingdom, kingdom that lasts forever. And our God and his domain endures through all generations. It endured during Rome. It endured during uh, Nazi Germany. It endured during the Dark Ages. It's enduring right now. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be silenced. The kingdom of God rests in us. And because we're members of his kingdom, we have certain rights and privileges and promises that if we hold on to, our life would be radically changed. So what are some of those promises? What are some of the things God does to people who live in his kingdom, to you and I? And again, the question is anticipated, and the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And here they are. I'll just read the rest of this chapter. The Lord upholds all, including you and me, who fall and raises up those who are bowed down, who are crushed, who are despondent and in despair, who don't think there'll be a tomorrow. The eyes of all look towards God. God, the only one that can meet our needs because he gives us our substance and our food when we need it in due season. That is who our God is. We fret about having enough. And God said, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will give us everything we need. Affirmed here as a sovereign king and a loving father, he heals, he protects, he provides for those who belong to him. We continue. You open your hand and satisfy. But what do you satisfy? The desire of every living thing. Well, I have a desire for self-actualization. I have a desire to feel good. I have a desire to, for people to like me. I have a desire to be popular. I have a desire, that's why I have 9 million people on Facebook and I go drinking every Friday night and I do everything I can to satisfy some longing in my heart, my way. And God says that he opens up his hands and will satisfy every one of those desires. They're all found in him because he's righteous in all his ways and all his works are glorious. He is the source of everything good in our life. And that possession belongs to you as a member of his kingdom. It continues. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill once again the desire of those who fear him, who revere him. 
and he will also hear their cry and save them. From who? Maybe from the wicked. Because it says the Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy because he is just. The Lord is near. The Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. You have bold access to the throne of glory. Rest, abide, and relax in that truth. So what happens now? Well, understanding all of this, my mouth shall speak the praises of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. I'm looking at this. And I'm seeing this incredible picture what the life with Christ is to be like, one of verbal affirmation, one of blessing, one of surrender and submission in the church, outside of the church, telling us how great and good God is. And so we have sang songs to him. We have meditated on his goodness. And now the most uncomfortable part, I want to give you an opportunity to do just what it says here to open your mouth and speak the praises of the Lord. Is there anything in your life that you would like to publicly praise him for right now?